going to spend some time studying the Bible together. We believe that the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus, so we open it up every week and try to understand who God is and what Jesus has done for us through the Scriptures. Um, we're doing kind of an end of year and looking forward to a New Year message today. We'll be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. So if you want to open up, it's the end of the Gospel of Matthew, so that's the first New Testament book, but the end of that book. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there are some black Bibles under the chairs, and you can turn to page 835 page 835 and those black Bibles. Um, this passage, it's kind of the final orders that Jesus gives to his church. It's known as the Great Commission. Um, uh, from a military framework, you would call it the commander's intent. These are like the standing orders that Jesus has given to the church. So it's important for us to come back to it every once in a while as a church. If you've read our founding documents, we have what we call a constitution that kind of says, this is our name, and this is how we've organized ourselves as a local church body. You can find that online, or you can find it in the hallway on a brochure rack. But in that constitution, it brings us back to this passage. It says our vision and our mission as a church is based on these orders. It's based on this great commission, that we're going to glorify God by obeying what Jesus says here. You can see from the title that I believe we have a, a slight tension, a slight conflict set up for us, in that Jesus' final orders that he's given us are an impossible task. So we're calling it this morning the impossible task. Jesus calls us to something huge, something global, something impossible. And we have to recognize that if we're going to obey it at all. We have to recognize the global scale, the bigness of this, the heart barriers that we have to fulfilling it. Um, there have been a, a ton of superhero movies lately, right? Um, because of the holidays, I've seen a few more movies than normal. Got to see the new Aquaman movie. Anybody seen Aquaman yet? It's huge, it's global, it's colorful, it's bizarre. Some people love it, some people hate it. But what I like about the movie is that from the beginning, this hero doesn't think he can be the hero that people want him to be. And I think that's a really good place to start, right? That's important for us to start with a little bit of skepticism, right? Like, Jesus, I'm not sure if I can do what you've called me to do. It's a healthy skepticism we should have. Like, okay, Jesus, you're Jesus, but can I do this? Can I do what you've called me to do? It's important for us to start off with that, like, not sure. Now, I think the scriptures, and I think Jesus will convince us. I think if we really look at Jesus, he, he's going to call us along, and he's going to help us to get there. But it's good to start off with, man, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than us. And it's really important to have a sense of humility about it. So let's read chapter 28. We're going to read verses 16 through 20. Remember, just context, Jesus died on the cross, and then he rose from the dead. And so the disciples are a little confused, right? They'd given up. And then they were like, oh, wait, he's risen from the dead. This is great. Well, now he's leaving again, right? So there's kind of a, a roller coaster of emotions that the disciples are feeling right now. So starting in verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. So these are the eleven disciples. These are the founders of the church. And even among them, there's a mix of awe and worship on the one hand, and doubt and struggle on the other hand. These are guys just like you and me. Verse 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So when you read our Constitution, it says our job as a church is to obey this. It's to do this. 
What has God called us to do? Well, to make disciples of all nations, to take the whole world and convince them to follow Jesus. That, that is our job. That is our task. And I said it's, it's a global task. It's a huge task, universal task. And frankly, it's, it's beyond us. We're going to need supernatural help if we're going to fulfill the task that Jesus has called us to fulfill. Now, our Constitution goes on and says, hey, let's just break it into simple steps. Maybe that'll help. Our Constitution says, well, first, we're going to have to introduce people to who Jesus is, right? So we do a lot of things to try to introduce people that don't know Jesus so that they know who Jesus is. That's the beginning of following him, right, is meeting him. We want to help people understand the real Jesus. That's part of why we teach out of the scriptures. Instead of just kind of passing on tales, we want to teach from the original records that tell us about Jesus. In our Constitution, the second thing it says is we want to establish people in a walk with Christ. So that second step is like helping people get rooted. Established in the scriptures always is the word that talks about kind of being grounded like a foundation or being rooted like a tree. Uh, so Jesus talks about this earlier in Matthew. Jesus says he wants us to, to build our house on the rock of him and his word so that when the storms come, our house doesn't just wash away like a house on sand, but it stands strong like a house that has a foundation. So what does it mean to establish ourselves on the foundation of Christ himself? That's the second step that our Constitution describes in this global task. And then the third step is equipping people to do the work of the ministry. Our church believes that it's not just professionals that do ministry. It's not just Sunday school teachers that do ministry. But any leader at this church, the leader's job is to help everybody else do the ministry. That the ministry belongs to all of us. Ministry literally means service. And so we are all, as the body of Christ, serving the world on behalf of Christ. So it's going to have a different flavor. We're, we all have different gifts, right? It's going to look like different things, but we're all in it together. So that's how our Constitution breaks down the impossible task. Let me pray for us, and then we'll look in more detail at this passage and, and uh, its particulars. God, we pray that you would teach us today. Uh, as we head into a new year, we thank you for new beginnings. We thank you for the chance to start over again. We pray that as a church, you would continue to show grace to us as an organization that you would help us as we constantly start over to start over again on a footing of you and your kindness to us. We pray that as individuals, that you would give us a fresh start. It's a new year. A lot of us have ideas about how we want to um, have better relationships or do better at work or have a closer relationship with you. Wh whatever that may be, Father, we pray that you would help us to have a fresh start in this new year that, again, is, is life-giving and feeding off of you and your grace and your kindness to us. So we pray that you would meet us now in this time of looking at your word, your spirit would open our eyes, and you would guide us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we try to summarize the, all these things that our Constitution basically says on the first page of the Constitution, we want to glorify God, right? We want to show the world that God is great. That's what it means to glorify God. Uh, we want to obey the Great Commission, this impossible task, the standing orders he's given us here to make disciples of all peoples, all nations. And then we want to do it in these steps of introducing people to Jesus, establishing people, like grounding them in Jesus, and then equipping them to do ministry. So doing all of this, we tend to just summarize with grow deep, reach out. Raise your hand if you've heard that or read that at this church before. Have you ever seen that? Grow deep, reach out. A lot of you have seen that. If you get a coffee cup, if you're a visitor, we give you the coffee cup, and it says grow deep, reach out. Um, our bulletins, we don't have a bulletin today because the office was closed this week, but our bulletins usually say grow deep, reach out. Um, that's just kind of a catchphrase we use to try to summarize all of this, right? We want to grow deep in Jesus, and we want to reach out with Jesus. What is, 
that look like? I'm going to add one more point to that to try to kind of catch some of the bigness of what this is saying. And I'm going to say we want to help every people group to grow deep in Christ and reach out with Christ, okay? So I'm just going to take that catchphrase. I'm going to add, let's help every people group to do that, right, to, to kind of tie in with the global scale of what this says in Matthew 28. And so our first point is we want to help every people group to do this. We want to help every people group. I use the word people group on purpose because it kind of gets hard to use. Like nation is not exactly right for this translation. Jesus says here that we want to make disciples of all the nations, which is fine and good. I mean, it's global in scale no matter how you define it. But the word is a little closer in the original Greek to tribe. Um, it's The word in Greek is ethne. So we get ethnic group, right? And ethnic is probably too specific. A nation is probably too broad. Maybe tribe would be a better way to understand it. Um, we might think of it as like states or subcultures, right? Um, we all belong to different subcultures. You might be, you know, you might have grown up in this kind of neighborhood or in this part of the country or in another country, right? You had certain traditions around holidays. You have certain kind of foods that you like to eat. You might have even grown up speaking another language other than English. And so we all kind of have different cultural frameworks that we grow up with. And our job as God's people is to help all of these people groups, all of these ethnic groups, all of these nations, all of these languages come to see that Jesus is Lord. So what does that look like? That's, that's huge, right? That's global in scale. And I think it's really helpful to kind of shrink it down a little bit and say, okay, as a church and as God's people worldwide, because there's a lot of other churches besides ours, right, that we have this global responsibility, what does that look like for you as an individual and me as an individual? Well, I think it just starts with, like, the one person God puts in front of you, right? Like, who's, who's the other person that God has put within your reach that's outside of your tribe? And we can use that definition loosely, right, outside of your people group. Maybe they're, they have a different job than you and you don't really understand each other, right? Or maybe they like different music than you. Or maybe it's that neighbor that's a little hard to get along with, Right? Who's that one person that seems out of your reach, the gospel compels us to press forward and say, what, what would it look like for me to communicate a little bit of the gospel, a little bit of hospitality and grace to that one person that just seems outside of my obvious reach? So as Christians, we become this people who, like Jesus, are always stepping outside of the comforts of our own home to serve others. It's a picture we got of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. It's a picture we get of Jesus throughout the Gospel of John that the Father sent Jesus, right? Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't content to just stay comfortable in heaven, but Jesus came after us to show love to us. He came into our rough neighborhood that we call planet Earth. What would it look like for you and for me to step outside the comforts of our home to just one more person, one more family, one more people group? I can't define who those people are for you. I think as individuals, God and the Holy Spirit will prompt you, right? And so this looks like us saying, God, show me. Sh show me who it is that I need to show love to. Show me who it is that I need to understand. Uh, there's this word that appears again and again in the New Testament called hospitality. And we often reduce hospitality down to just like having someone over for a meal, right? Raise your hand if that's how you usually think of the word hospitality, having someone over for a meal. That's, and that's kind of, that kind of fits the New Testament model, the first century model. But it's really a broader word than that. The word literally means, now there's different words that can be translated as hospitality, but the main word is stranger lover, okay? Lover is probably too, too strong. 
Stranger liker, okay? Lover sounds creepy, right? It's someone who likes strangers, someone who reaches out to strangers. So God's people, if, if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to always be like reaching out to befriend, to understand, to help those that are not like us. We're going to be the kind of people that show hospitality. We, we like strangers. Do you like strangers? I have to admit, the older I get, the less I like strangers, right? I find myself getting more insular and more grumpy in my old age. It makes me kind of sad. I used to be more extroverted when I was younger, and I think what's happened, what God is teaching me is how to rely on the Holy Spirit more and less on my flesh. I think, frankly, when I was younger, I just relied on being this, like, carefree person that liked everybody, and that wasn't so much the Holy Spirit working through me. That was just my personality, and so I'm kind of losing some of that carefreeness as I get older and having to rely more by faith on Jesus. I think, really, that's where we should all be. We should rely on Jesus. Say, Jesus... Who do you want me to love? How do you want me to do that? Empower me to do that. Help me to understand someone. Help me to speak to someone. Help me to move toward them in love and in grace. There's this vision in Revelation 5-9 where they're praising Jesus, and it's kind of this vision of, of the way things are supposed to be in heaven, a heavenly vision. And they're talking about Jesus. It says, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, so Jesus alone is, is worthy to like open up the revelation of God, is what it's describing here. And it says, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people, you rescued people, right? So by the, the death of Jesus, Jesus has rescued people, and it goes on and says, people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So I was saying, you know, I'm kind of using every people group as a general phrase here. You could say tribe, you could say ethnic group, you could say nation. You know, I'm trying to define nation from Matthew 28. So Revelation is helpful because it says, okay, if you're confused by any of those words, I'm going to give you like five different words to use, right? It says he's rescued people from God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So God's goal is that every kind of person would be family together. So what does it look like for us to represent that? To represent the children's song, one of my favorite songs from when I was a kid. Um, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And no offense to those of you that don't fit in those four colors. I know there are more colors than that in the human tapestry, right? But it's this picture, this vision that we would all come together different colors of skin. It's not just that, right? Different languages, different nations, different styles of government, different ways of celebrating holidays, different ways of interacting, different loves, different dances, different music. What would it look like if different kinds of people, every people group, came together to worship Jesus? Because really what happens when we're doing that is we're saying, you know what? It's not my tribe that gives me ultimate security. It's Jesus that does. So that doesn't mean you absolutely throw out your tribe. It doesn't mean you throw out everything you learned growing up. What it means is you hold those things secondary. You see, those, those things are not as important as Jesus and obeying him and following him. What does it look like for you and for me to see the world through those eyes? Be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm a Texan. I'm glad... Uh, I'm an American, you know, I'm happy about the tribes that I grew up in. I'm, I'm thankful for the family God put me in. I'm thankful for the education I had. But those things are not ultimate. Those things are secondary. 
we can have preferences, we can like certain kinds of food, we can like our people, so to speak, but what does it look like for us to hold those things loosely enough that we are free to always be loving and honoring other people, people across the street, people that we work with? What would that look like? I think the more that we celebrate Jesus as a people, the more we will naturally then love others that don't look like us. It's going to be a natural process. And God has already blessed our church here with that kind of body. I mean, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to say, hey, we need to move in this direction. We're not even close yet. We, we are. Like, I'm the one getting to look at all your faces. And you all look different, right? So it's a beautiful thing. You are this reflection of what Paul described in Ephesians 2. He said, in the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God is displayed. And that word uh, polyoiklos means multicolored. It's like a diamond has different facets, right? And it reflects different uh, angles of light. That's who the people of God are. We all look different. We all come from different backgrounds. We're not saved by being educated at a certain school. We're not saved by speaking a certain language. We're not saved by having a certain style of clothing. We're saved by Jesus. He is our hope. And the more we hope in him, the better we'll be at loving people that don't look like us. A really good kind of theological way to understand this is uh, borrowing from Martin Luther King. He based a lot of his philosophy during the civil rights movement on what we would call personalism. Um, and personalism is just honoring the dignity of other human beings, right? Human beings are made in the image of God, so we owe them dignity. Even if they're sinners, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, still there's inherent value in human beings because we're made in the image of God. So sometimes the, the Latin phrase you might have heard, imago Dei, that's just Latin for image of God. So what we're saying when we say that is that the Bible teaches that all human beings are made in God's image. And the, what's broken in us is our own sin, and we need to be forgiven for that sin, yes, but we still have inherent value as being made in God's image. We don't wait for people to clean up to show love to them, right? Jesus didn't do that for us. He showed us love by dying for us and coming after us because we saw us as valuable. And so we should have that same posture towards other people. And that's the image of God. Do you see other people as having dignity, even if they don't talk like you, even if they don't look like you, even if they don't like the same things that you like? It's a really good test. We just watched the um, documentary about Ro uh, Mr. Rogers. Anybody seen the documentary about Mr. Rogers? Um, one of you? Okay, good. It was really good. Sorry, just teasing. Uh, it was really good. I, anyway, that's another story. The Mr. Rogers documentary, there's so many things flying through my head. I'm editing all the time. So if you think I go off on rabbit trails a lot, just I could go off on a lot more. I just want you to know that. Um, so the Mr. Rogers documentary, they kept talking about how Mr. Rogers was so amazing and kids felt so loved by him because he actually thought that kids deserved dignity and respect. He thought, he had this radical idea that children are made in the image of God. They're not just like little puppies waiting to become real humans. They're actually human beings with dignity made in the image of God. That right there is what was so amazing about Mr. Rogers. And when you watch a show, he like looks at kids in the eye and he talks to them and he would listen to them. They said he broke all the rules of television, right? He broke all the rules of television because he would just slow down and have a conversation with kids and, and sing songs and play with puppets too. But, you know, that's... That goes without saying. Um, so what does this look like? How do we break this? How do we help every people group, right? We can't really reach the whole world. W where do we start? So as a church, as an organization, what have we done? We've said we're going to set aside 10% and just say, we're just going to give 10% to other organizations that are reaching other people. 
in other places, right? Global outreach, some local missionaries that have their hands in things that we can't quite get to as a church. Um, a lot of global missionaries that are working in just the different corners of the world, different languages, deserves different specialization, right? So we're just, we just take 10% of our general income and we just push it out to other ministries. We call that our global outreach fund. So that's a constant thing we do. We try to encourage other local pastors, other churches, to try to help them to be healthy, to say we're not just about our church, we're about other churches as well. So I, I meet with other pastors as a church. We help other pastors and other churches, and we will continue to be about that. We've planted churches locally and regionally, and we'll continue to be about helping start new churches uh, in our area and across the world. We want to be about propping up other organizations to obey this. But then as individuals as well, one of the things we've worked on is we've just said, Lord, teach us to be more broad in our reach. Teach us to help every kind of person that walks through our doors feel welcome. Give us eyes to see that what might seem welcoming to me, because I grew up one way, might not seem welcoming to someone else, and give us that awareness. So just as a church, we can be more welcoming to more different kinds of people. And we want to continue to pray in that way. And if you're new or just getting involved and you're like, man, I like this church, but I haven't felt very welcome. I'd, I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to figure out ways that we could do a better job of that. We're trying to constantly improve in that area, developing and strengthening our welcome team and our ministries, you know, like the nursery and kind of the, the first, first greeting kind of things that happen in this church. We want to get better at that because we just want people to feel welcomed in Jesus' name. And then individually, I would say it just comes down to us praying that God would give us eyes to see who's that person or that family you want me to connect with, Lord. Just pray that God would open your eyes and say, hey, go, go talk to them. And, and it might not be like, go give them a sermon. Might, it might just be, go be their friend. Go be hospitable towards them. Go like them. Go start to understand this person that's not like you so that you could just take first steps in this goal of being God's people to reach all over the world, every kind of person. Okay, next point is that we're going to help every people group to grow deep in Christ, right? The way this is described in our Constitution is it talks about establishing people, putting down those roots in Christ. We want to grow deep in Christ. We want to connect with him. So that, that starts with understanding who Jesus is, the, the basics of the gospel, kind of like entry-level gospel, entry-level good news. And that is that we are all sinners, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are good enough in and of ourselves. So we're made in God's image. There's a glory and beauty about every human being. We all deserve dignity. We're all awesome to some degree as humans because that's how God made us. But we're not everything God desires us to be. We've turned from him. We haven't loved each other as we should. We haven't loved God as we should. And the Bible calls that sin. So we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we haven't lived up to everything we're supposed to be. So you've got this glory and brokenness, like when you go into a junkyard and you see a 69 Mustang and it's rusty and broken, you're like, man, that thing's awesome, but it's broken, right? That's kind of what human beings are. I think Schaefer, Francis Schaefer, an apologist, he said, glorious ruins. We're glorious ruins. We're broken and we're glorious at the same time. And so what that means is we need a Savior. We need our sin to be forgiven. And so the good news is that Jesus has forgiven our sin by dying on the cross for it. He took the punishment that we deserve. Jesus took your place and my place. And if you trust in Jesus, then you can grow deeper in him. You can have life in him. You can, you can know that God loves you and has adopted you in him. So a lot of times we, just, we describe this as sonship, 
You ever heard that phrase, sonship? It's in Galatians and in Romans. And this idea is that, that we have the rights of firstborn sons. We are like the heir to the throne through Christ. So sonship and firstborn son is not meant to exclude women any more than it's meant to exclude, I'm a secondborn son, right? It's not meant to exclude anybody. It's saying we have those rights, the inheritance. So we are all sons and daughters of God through Christ, the true firstborn son. He's, he's the one who is the true prince who has those rights, and he's given them to you and to me. See, he lived the perfect life. He earned life by being perfect, by living up to the glory of God. We, we haven't. We failed. And so by faith in him, we're, we're covered in him. We're safe in him. God loves you in him. God is pleased with you in Christ. Do you believe that? So number one, do you believe it? Number two, do you live out of that every day? So when we talk about growing deep in Christ, we talk about starting with that entry-level gospel of knowing all the riches you have in Christ, but getting up every day and refreshing yourself in that. In Colossians and Ephesians, it talks about putting on Christ like clothes. So it's kind of like this image of every morning when you get up, you have to remind yourself, I'm not saved today because of my tribe or because of my performance or because of how smart I am or how much money I have. I'm saved today because of Jesus. And every morning you put Jesus back on. You say, he's my only hope. And that's how we live moment by moment. That's what we mean when we talk about growing deep in Christ, growing deeper in all the benefits we have of this connection to the Heavenly Father. We have an image here I I picked from the movie Pursuit of Happiness. It was interesting because in this movie, Will Smith actually played a father with a son and his Real son was the actor that played his fake son in the movie. Um, and, and the movie is interesting. It's obviously not, he's not a perfect father, but it's a, a nice example of someone who persevered through trials to love his kid, right? And how much more do we have a perfect father in heaven? Jesus describes, if you earthly fathers, even though you're evil, still know how to be good to your kids sometimes, how much more does your heavenly father know how to be good to you? The picture here is that Um, our fathers being messed up doesn't define who God is as Heavenly Father. It's the opposite. We know our fathers are messed up because God's a perfect father. So no matter how good your dad is or how bad he is, none of them measure up completely to God as Heavenly Father. That's the perfect father. And we have this right as sons, as daughters. We'll, We'll see this as we move into the Gospel of John next week. He gave the right to become children of God. Are you growing deeper in Christ, in that family that you have in him? The image that our main text in Matthew, I'll look back at Matthew again, it says the image of baptism. Look at this in Matthew 18, Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven on on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, so make followers of Jesus, that's what a disciple is, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So baptism itself is a physical rite ceremony where we kind of fake wash someone with water. It's usually kind of grungy water when we use a baptismal pool, right? But it's a symbolic washing, not a real washing. We usually don't use soap, but it's a symbolic washing. Baptism is plunging someone in water to symbolize that their sins have been washed away and to symbolize that they are now identified with Jesus. As it says here, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So now your identity is you belong to God. That's what baptism means. It's an identification. It's saying 
it's no longer me, it's them. It's no longer me, it's God. It's what God has been doing for me in Jesus. That's what baptism symbolizes. And so I want to encourage you, if you have that faith that God has given you life, then you should take those next steps of, of showing that to people through baptism. Baptism is the way you, you display that, that you are in Christ. It's a part of growing deeper in Christ is to share that with other people. As we head into a new year, I want to encourage you to take advantage of what historically are called the means of grace. The means of grace are the church basically saying, these are ways for you to be reminded and encouraged that God loves you. And so one way I've heard different people describe it in different ways. One way to think about it is like, you're thirsty. You're thirsty for grace, right? It's easy to forget that God loves you in Christ. It's easy for me to drift and to start putting my identity back in how successful I am or how strong I am or how much money I have. And I need to be reminded to put my identity in Christ, to be one with him. And so I'm thirsty for that, and I need to kind of position myself under this fountain of grace. And historically, the church talks about means of grace are things like the Bible and prayer and communion and worship together and singing songs to Jesus. These are things we do to kind of posture ourselves like, Jesus, I'm thirsty. Give me more of you. So we're not really running to these things thinking they're magical. We're running to them saying, I need Jesus, right? We're going hungry, desperate for Jesus. And so the means of grace are are ways of reminding ourselves that God loves us in Christ. Say in the new year, take advantage of these means of grace. There are two particularly that I want to call you to, two particularly that I think are really helpful, that we see a lot of transformation in people's lives. All of them are important, but I just want to kind of focus on two. One is reading the Bible. I think the new year is a really helpful time to say, hey, New Year's resolution, I'm going to actually read the Bible this year. I want to encourage you to make it a realistic goal, right? Like, like you know your own attention span. Uh, maybe you need to listen to the Bible on audio. Maybe that would be better for you than reading if you're dyslexic or you have trouble seeing or you've always, you know, just have a harder time reading than listening, then listen. Uh, but get into the Bible in the new year. We have a Bible reading plan. I think I've got a copy of it here. It's in our brochure rack. It says Bible Reading Plan 2019. Very creative title we gave to it. Um, and this has some guidelines we put together of kind of getting you through most of the Bible in chronological order, and it's got you reading some Old Testament and some New Testament every month. So it's kind of a grab bag. It's got 25 readings, and it'll take you through about 25% of the Bible. So you'll get through most of the Bible. Then there'll be little footnotes that are like, if you want to really be persnickety about it and read every single chapter, here are the missing chapters. You can add those so you can read the whole Bible. But I'm trying to encourage people to just read most of the Bible generally in order, get a little bit of Old Testament, get a little bit of New Testament, and we've got 24 readings. I think that's right. Yeah, 24 readings per month. Because if, if you're like me, you, you miss days sometimes, right? And so this will help you maybe get through the Bible in a year. There's also some other articles just about how to understand the Bible, how to pick a good Bible translation and some things like that. So I'd recommend this for you in the new year. Um, whatever it is, pick, pick a method that will work for you, right? Make, make it small, make it doable, but get into the scriptures. We're going to be studying the Gospel of John together so that we can as a church, be focusing in on Jesus, who he is, what he has done for us. The other thing I want to encourage you in the new year to grow deep in Christ is to get into some kind of community group where you can encourage each other in your faith. Um, as modern people, we live very isolated lives. Um, we, we, we tend to separate ourselves out. And so you might hear this drumbeat a lot in different churches if you visited different churches. We encourage people to get into community I think it looks different in different cultures, right? Some of you might have great Christian friends 
that are encouraging you, and you don't necessarily need to join an official church small group. You've already got that. But just ask yourself, do I have those kinds of relationships? Do I have relationships where I have a friend that I can talk to about my faith, that I can confess my struggles to and say, will you pray for me? And I can encourage them with the gospel, and they can encourage me with the gospel. We can be offering these, these means of grace to each other, like, Jesus loves you. You can do this. This is what it looks like to follow him. Do you have those kinds of friendships? So when we build small groups and uh, ministry Bible studies out, that's really the goal for those things, that you would grow in seeing Jesus in the scripture and grow in encouraging each other in relationship. You can probably create those relationships on your own, but we offer these uh, systematic ways to do that through small groups and through Bible studies to help you because we want to equip you and help you along in that journey. The question is, do you have those relationships? If you don't, make that a goal for the new year. Final thing we want to look at is reaching out with Christ. What does it look like to reach out with Christ? The way this is described in our Constitution is equipping people to do the works of ministry. Uh, it says in Ephesians 4, it's the pastor's job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So what does it look like for you to reach out, to, to serve others? Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 that we are the body of Christ, right? Jesus is in heaven physically. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and we are to operate as the hands and feet of Jesus. So we all have different gifts, right? Some of us are like the thumb, and some of us are like the knee. Some of us are like a mouth or like a nose, but we all are to function together to execute Jesus' goals, to fulfill the Great Commission. So he says in Matthew 28, back to our text here, he's saying, go, make disciples, right? So this is an active verb. That word, make disciples, means we are actually grabbing people and turning them into followers of Jesus. Going back to what I said in the beginning, this is an impossible task. We can only do this if God's Spirit is at work through us. So what I want you to recognize is you don't wait until you are a perfect expert because Jesus is already calling us to do something that's impossible. We, we're stepping out in faith and saying, Jesus, I've got, to use a metaphor, like the little boy that says, I've got some loaves and fishes, and you let Jesus multiply that, Right? You step out and you're like, okay, kids scare me, but I guess I can volunteer in the nursery, right? Like, um, I don't really know the story of Jesus really well, but I guess I could engage my friend and ask them what they think about Jesus, right? You can just kind of step out in faith. You don't wait until you've got it all figured out. You don't wait until you're an expert. You step out in faith and you say, Jesus, you asked me to serve. You asked me to reach out, so I will. And I, I pray that you're going to help me figure this out along the way, right? So when it describes pastors equipping the saints to do the works of ministry, that is definitely our job, and we're going to continue to do that, right? We're going to teach you the Bible. We're going to come alongside you. We're going to give you advice that you step out in faith and you talk to your neighbor about Jesus. I have these conversations all the time. Call me like, hey, they said this. I don't know what to say. That's cool. I'll, I'll, I'd love to talk to you about that, right? But understand that when it says that pastors equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, it doesn't mean you wait until you've got a Ph.D. in ministry and I've equipped you thoroughly, and then you step out, right? It, it's on-the-job training. You, you step out and you do it, and then we're like, all right, we're going to give you more Bible, we're going to give you more Jesus, we're going to try to encourage you along the way to do the ministry that God's called you to. What are the gifts that God has given you? What are the passions you have? Use those for the sake of Jesus. And that's going to look like involving yourself in, in organized ministries we have here, right? We'll say, hey, we need someone in the nursery, we need somebody in the welcome team. You'll sign up, you'll serve. It'll also look like just out there serving where God has put you, in your workplace, at your school, in your neighborhood, just loving people well and being real about who Jesus is and what he means for you. 
in the new year, we've, we've recommitted ourselves to clarify and align our ministries so that it's easier to get involved. Uh, what we've recognized is we're kind of, we transitioned real quickly as a church from being kind of like an awkward adolescent to being a pudgy middle-aged church. It was really weird. It happened like that. You know, we're a church plant. We planted 12 years ago. And so for a while, we grew really fast, and we were like this 6'4", 14-year-old, right? We looked big and mature, but we were not mature. And then we invested in maturity, and I think we've kind of gotten a little pudgy, you know. We've gotten a little bloated, and we're going to try to trim things down. We're trying to align things so that's clear. So we're not just offering a smorgasbord and saying, here's a million different ways to serve, but just being clearer. Uh, that's our goal for the new year. So talk to us about that. Give us feedback. Pray for us especially. Um, that we would get better at organizing, aligning, and pruning ministry going forward. Um, as you think about reaching out with Christ, I want you to think of yourself like this. You are a water hose, okay? You're a water hose. Jesus says in the Gospel of John that if you believe in him, springs of living water will flow from within you. You'll have that water of life flowing through you. So you're offering the water of life. You're offering Jesus to people whether you have the gifts of, of service, right, serving with your hands, or you have the gifts of speech, whatever it is, ultimately you're offering Jesus. And you're the water hose. He's the water. And I just want you to think about what are the things that, that kink my hose, right? When I'm pulling the hose to water the garden in the summer, sometimes it gets caught on a rock, it gets kinked, and, and the water stops, right? What are the things that kink your hose that prevent you from sharing this water of life? I think one of the number one issues is self-condemnation. I think one of the number one issues we feel is like, I'm not good enough. I don't know this right enough. I don't know how to say it. Maybe I'm not skilled enough. I'm embarrassed about the things I've done in my past. What if they find out about who I used to be? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says that God has given us this treasure in jars of clay. And he's done that on purpose so that people will be in awe of the treasure and not the jar. What he's saying is, yes, you're messed up and I'm messed up. And the treasure is Jesus. The treasure is not the jar. We are these cracked jars with this awesome water that people are dying for. And don't think about the jar. Yeah, your jar is cracked. My jar is cracked too. The more we think about Jesus, the more free we will be to share Jesus. Don't make it about you. Don't make it about me, right? Say, it's not, a, it's not about me. Have you ever had this experience where you walk into a room and you're feeling totally insecure, you're thinking about yourself, and you walk in there just feeling uneasy, feeling insecure, worried about what people think of you? You've probably had that kind of experience. You've probably also had the experience where you walk into a room, you see someone in need, you connect with that person, and you help them. That was awesome. I think when we remember Jesus and we're not focused on ourself, we're like the second scenario. We go in, we're excited about what Jesus has done for us, we're able to see other people. We're able to see their need. We're able to reach out in love and in grace and kindness to them. But I think when we're just thinking about us and our cracked jar, we never get past us. We're just focused on us. And we never offer the water that's in the cracked jar. So that's my prayer for us for the new year, that we would get better at this as, as individuals, but also as an organization, as a group of people working together. That we'd get better aligned, better organized, but also just as individuals that we would more and more 
hope in Jesus, which would free us up more and more to share Jesus with those that are not like us. Take us back again to the reality. This is an impossible task. Jesus has told us to make disciples, to change people. We all know you can't really change people, right? Go change everybody so they'll love Jesus. And do that not just with the people that you understand and you like. Do that with the people you don't like. And do that with everybody in the whole world, right? That's what Jesus is calling us to. Go make disciples. Identify them with Christ. Help them to follow me. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. But don't miss the last little piece that he gives us here. He says, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the final words he gives. He's like, okay, here's the impossible task, but I'm going to go with you. I'm going to help you. In the Gospel of John, there's a conversation very similar to this. I talk about it all the time because it's one of my favorite parts of the Gospel of John. It's in John 14 when he's leaving the disciples. They're confused. He's like, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to send the Spirit to be with you. I will be with you. You're not abandoned. You're not orphans. Jesus says, I will go with you. I will be with you to the very end of the age. This impossible task is something you can do because Jesus is going to do it through us. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've saved us in Christ. We pray that you would continue to change us as a people so that we would step out in faith. God, this is overwhelming and uh, we often don't know where to start. So we, we pray that you would show us. We pray that your spirit would nudge us and we have this growing conviction that you're with us and that you're guiding us. And when you nudge us to talk to that person, we can go talk to that person. And when you nudge us to serve in an area that we're not comfortable with, you'll, you'll equip us along the way. So, Father, we pray that you would be glorified through our lives because more and more we would recognize that, that you're the treasure. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.